Hello, and welcome to the Tech Queens podcast, a podcast focused on featuring the stories and advice from women of color in tech. In this episode, I'm talking with Faith Chikwekwe, who is currently a student studying software engineering at Make School and a teaching assistant for their computer science courses. Uh, so, hey, Faith, how's it going? I'm great. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast. So let's get started. What's your story, Faith? Yeah, so right now I am a student studying at Make School. I am a back-end engineer and a data engineer, uh, and so I'm taking courses to that effect. And I'm also a teaching assistant. I do teaching assistance for the computer science program, and I also help with the RAMP program, which is a program for people who are new to tech, who've never coded before, who want to get into it and want to attend Make School. It's a way to bridge them. Oh, you talked about being a back-end engineer and a data um, engineer. For yeah. those who don't know, what could you dive into what that entails? Sure. So personally, my main interest with developing software is developing infrastructure, some of the background logic. So there's really cool stuff when you visit a website that you can see, things that you can click on, things that come up, pictures and such. Mm-hmm. And then there's the logic behind that that makes those things show up, that fills in information that brings things from point A to point B. And that background part that you don't necessarily see is the thing that I'm more interested in because I, you know, I like the flow of data and I like managing that kind of thing. And that's the back end part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And I specialize in, in front end. That's my thing. I love front end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're both great. They're both great tools. And so you said you're currently a teacher assistant and you're a student at Make School. What is Make School for those who don't know? Sure. So Make School is a school that does different fields of computer science. We have front end, which is the stuff you see, the back end, which we just talked about. We have data science, which is more about machine learning and artificial intelligence. And we also have mobile, which is for apps that you would use on your phone. And we use a product-based learning system. So instead of sitting through long lectures and, you know, kind of thinking about the ideas but not really implementing them, we learn by making products, making websites, making apps, making programs that people can use, games. And it's a lot better of a way to learn for most people because it gets you in there understanding how the things fit together and it makes it a lot more memorable for a lot of us. We also integrate with the tech industry quite a lot. So we go to various companies. We talk to engineers about their job. We're able to talk to them in um, tech jargon because we understand the terms because we use them on a daily basis. And we you know, make friends with these people and we uh, understand about how the tech industry works as well. So it provides us with a lot of great opportunities to open up and to learn more um, faster. No, I think honestly, networking is super important. A lot of folks, I think, especially maybe on the more technical side, like engineers, tend to undermine how important networking is. Mm-hmm. Like it's crucial. Um, and a referral for a job can get you an interview. Like statistically, it's been proven that it will, like more likely. So um, you're talking about project based learning. What's like a project that you are pretty proud of that you've worked on so far at Make School? Sure. So I'm currently working on a project with my friend Stephanie called Network. Um, so we attended a hackathon a few months ago, and we created a project which is kind of like a virtual codex. 
so basically, you would store acquaintances' phone numbers, email addresses in the app. And the reason why we created it was to be a substitute for carrying around business cards. So it would be something that you could use um, when you go out to events. You, Along with sharing your LinkedIn profile, you would also share your business card information. And the thing that we implemented that kind of gave it an edge was um, using your face as a recognition device for that. So you could log in with like a pin or like with a QR code. You could also log in or give someone permission to have your information using facial recognition. So we implemented that at a hackathon and we were able to impress the judges. We got second place for the overall participation. And nice. Surprised. Yeah, we, and we also won a special prize for using that machine learning API, which did the facial recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and an API is just like, a server somewhere that houses like some cool information and we would bring that into our app um, Mm -hmm. and use that for the facial recognition. Um, And for the API, which company created that API that you used for the facial recognition like capability? Yeah. So we used the Clarify API for facial recognition Mm -hmm. and we are re-implementing, we're rebuilding the app because when you build something at a hackathon, you build it really fast. And so sometimes mm-hmm. it can be a little sloppy. So we mm-hmm. wanted to go back, make it nice and polished because we'd like to try and see if people would actually like to use this app in the real world. Um, mm-hmm. And we're sticking with the Clarify API because we were impressed by its capabilities. So uh, it, yeah, it was a really great choice for us. Mm-hmm. And going off a tangent here, like completely. So hackathons, right? I used to love attending hackathons all the time. Mm-hmm. and you know, they were super fun. There was like free swag, free food, yeah. lots of networking. You could make, I made like a ton of friends for hackathons, but after I attended a couple, I was like noticing this trend that I would do at hackathons only specifically where I would, like you said, produce like pretty sloppy code. I would stay up super late. So I think like, while I love the idea of hackathons and I think they're amazing, especially when you're starting out and trying to learn or like learn something new. I don't know if they promote like the best practices for like real life, mm-hmm. you know, because in real life you're going to have a lot of time or at least not a lot of time, but you're going to have way more time. You're not going to be staying up late. And so, and they want you to produce like very high quality code that's like scalable, modular, clean, dry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I was, I was wondering what you thought about that, if anything. Sure. So I think hackathons, like you said, they're good and they're bad. They're kind of a double-edged sword. So mm-hmm. um, the good thing about hackathons, the thing that I like is it forces you to be outside of your comfort zone. As a programmer, I think that I learn the best. I develop the best new ideas when I'm in an uncomfortable position. So when I'm learning mm-hmm. a new framework, learning a new language, being pushed into that uncomfortable space. Mm-hmm. And hackathons do that because you're working with people that you don't know. You're working with Sometimes hackathons will have APIs or other technologies that they require you to use, and maybe you don't, you haven't used them before. So you're in that uncomfortable space, and you have a very short period of time, so that's uncomfortable as well. And there are times in your career at length where you're going to be in an uncomfortable position, and you're going to be under pressure, and you have to code. And I think that practicing that skill of being able to code when you're in an uncomfortable position is really great. But you're right. You don't usually write very many tests, which is something that you want to do as a programmer. You don't usually, you know, think about your code and and kind of iterate on it and make it better. 
And you don't usually spend a lot of time talking to users before you write your code at a hackathon. And so as far as best practices go, it's really important to not just attend hackathons and have that be the way that you learn to code, but to also work on personal projects, school projects over long periods of time, preferably with other people, so that over time you can get that good coding etiquette, um, that good coding hygiene of making your code readable, making it scalable, and making it something that other programmers will also want to interact with. Definitely. And I, I think I agree, like, generally speaking, that was pretty good life advice. Just being comfortable with being uncomfortable sometimes is actually really healthy, I think. Um, and you talked about the phrase double-edged sword. I want to dig into that a little bit because I actually love that phrase. I love to use that phrase because I feel like almost everything in life is kind of like a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. And I think especially it's a phrase that can be used to describe the technology industry at large. Like on one hand, you have all this innovation happening and a lot of people are productive and more happy um, because of the products that have been built out of this like technology economy. Um, it's producing a lot of money for people. It's getting people out of the middle class or into the middle class. Um, but at the same time, it's also, uh, you know, driven people out of jobs, out of cities that they've known and loved for years. Um, it, it's created a lot of hate. Um, it's allowed hate to be spread even easily, even more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we see this all the time in the news. It's like, it, it, everyone knows about this, but like, I'm wondering what your take is on all that. And if it influenced like how you enter this industry or how you feel about it. Yeah. So I think one of the main motivators besides of course, my love for innovation and for, Um, novel technologies and for problem solving. I think one of the main motivating factors for me in deciding to, you know, take this branch in my life and go into tech is the fact that tech is such an influential part of our lives. We all interact with it. Even if we try to like, you know, stay off certain social media platforms, we all interact with tech throughout the day. And, you know, when it's a space where hatred and, and negativity can be, can bre- can be bred, uh, it's really important for us to kind of take a look at that, take a step back and think about it. And I think that there have been a lot of the same types of people in tech who mm-hmm. have the same kind of lens about what technology should be like and how it mm-hmm. can be implemented and how it's going to affect uh, lots of different types of people. I think that personally having a new perspective in the tech industry, having lots of new perspectives, lots of people with different backgrounds, thinking about it and asking different questions and poking different holes is how we make it better. And so I'm not the type of person to say, let's just get rid of a technology altogether and never touch it again. I'm the type of person to say, if this is something that could be used for a positive goal, how do we make it so that it doesn't hurt people also? Um, and it's a challenging thing, you know, none of us have the exact right answer for how do we make tech accessible? How do we make it safe? And how do we make it good for people instead of harmful? But I think that if, if we encourage a lot of different types of people to ask questions and to kind of poke and prod, that'll increase the amount of good uses that we find for technology. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, this kind of does the, the podcast itself does focus on that issue, right? Like the fact that the the pipeline to a lot of these great roles in the tech industry is not very diversified yet. 
and that we are missing a lot of perspectives. Um, so that's brilliant. What specifically drew you to the field of technology or what made you want to go and study, you know, for two years at this like uh, alternative program? Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So I've always been interested in fields that push you to analyze, push you to think outside the box. I grew up in a family where we would stay up late having long discussions about complex topics and just kind of delving into the underlying information and trying to really understand them. And so for me, I think tech was one of those things where uh, when you are a programmer, when you're coding, you can't just rely on how things look on the surface. You have to dig deeper and understand the code that's underlying that. And uh, for me, that was a big motivating factor. I like to be in a place where I'm still learning and still growing and where I have the opportunity to show other people the things that I'm able to do. And that's another thing. I think something that um, is often a male trait uh, or attributed as a male trait is like wanting that kind of like, you know, fast response, wanting like that fast payoff. And Mm -hmm. personally, I'm someone who's also driven by that. I like typing something into the terminal um, or typing something into my coding environment and immediately being able to see that payoff. And so for me, that fast paced kind of like, you know, uh, analysis environment was, was really motivating. Another thing is that being, you know, a woman of color, I'm a black woman, uh, being a woman of color, mm-hmm. there are a lot of places where there aren't a lot of people like me and it's very hard to break into it because you don't know if you're going to be someone that's accepted. And I veered away from tech, um, I went to Georgia State University before I came to make school. And I remember when I was uh, um, at Georgia State, we toured the computer science department and we would we walked around and everybody that I saw on the floor was was either white or a man or both. And so I didn't see anyone who looked like me. I didn't see any, uh, mm-hmm. I didn't see any black people and I didn't see any black women. Um, and so it, it just felt like it wasn't a field for me. It felt like it was something that even if you're smart, um, even if you're quick, even if you're able to put two and two together, this is not the field for you. And so Mm -hmm. I veered off and I thought about studying medicine and I went and I studied international business and did other things that kind of, you know, exercise that part of my mind. But tech is something different for me, at least it's something that's flexible. It's so influential in the world and it does have that, you know, that kind of driven that fast pacedness that I really, really like. Um, so I'm glad I came back to it. Yeah. That, that story that you had about touring around the CS department, um, man, like really brought me down a little bit. It reminded me of like, um, undergrad and, uh, grad school. Like I was the only Latina in any of those programs that I was in and it was super isolating, especially in grad school, because for undergrad, I went to an HBCU. So like I was surrounded by people of color. I was surrounded by black women, black men. Like I felt more comfortable in that like scenario than I felt in grad school where it was like, there was like no people of color, honestly. Um, and I was again, like the only Latina and maybe there were like two Latinos. And then there was, I think maybe like less than five black people in total in the class, you know, and this was at an Ivy league school. So 
and this was for a CS uh, degree program. So I guess, you know, it's not, it's not surprising per se. It's just kind of sad. And it was kind of isolating at times, you know, even though everyone was generally supportive. Um, but yeah, I just, I completely relate to that. Um, anyway, so as a minority woman in tech, though, have you already faced like challenges and obstacles within the tech industry itself? I, I recognize that it's clear that you faced some obstacles already before you even entered the tech industry or before you even considered entering, which was basically lack of representation, right? And I think that's something that any woman of color can, you know, relate to, such as myself. But as you got into the tech industry, like where you are now, have you faced any challenges or obstacles specifically that you can talk to? school generally tries to um, democratize everything and make all of their courses and programs accessible to everyone. But there's only so much that you can do. Um, you know, our program is, I think at this point, about 25 to 30% women, which mm -hmm. is... You know, it's not amazing. It's not parody, but it's it's you know it's a lot better than some of the other tech programs, um, and definitely better than the tech industry overall. But that still comes with some challenges. And mm -hmm. one thing that I promised myself when I was about to come out to Silicon Valley to you know join this program and and start you know my journey in the tech industry was that I wouldn't allow myself to be spoken over by, by, by men or by anyone who felt like that they knew more about something than I did, that I would allow, that I would push myself to be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been something I've experienced here is times where I, I know a concept, where I understand something. Um, I'm a CS tutor. I'm a computer science tutor. So I have a, a pretty good grasp of a lot of these data structures and algorithms that we work with. Mm -hmm. and, Every once in a while, even someone who I'm tutoring will try and talk over me or correct me on something. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to be assertive and just like stay true to that promise I made to myself that, listen, if you know something, if you feel like you have that grasp on something, you're going to you know, not allow yourself to be kind of undermined that way. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, obviously, you want to also be open to other people's ideas and criticisms and things like that. So I do my best to listen to other people as well, but I'll say, I totally understand that that's, you know, what you're thinking about this, but I have an opinion and this is what it is. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's definitely a challenge every once in a while. I'll come across someone who's a little bit, you know, not very considerate of, 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 of me, but mm -hmm. I, I try to, to stay um, confident in my abilities. I try not to fall victim to imposter syndrome. Um, and I just try to, you know, to, to make sure that my voice is heard. I have a few follow-up questions, but uh, the first one is you mentioned imposter syndrome. Could you define what that is for those who don't know? Sure. So um, imposter syndrome is kind of when you feel that you are not qualified or incapable of doing something, even though you might be just as qualified as anyone else. Um, you might have unique knowledge that no one else does, um, or you might have the appropriate knowledge. Uh, you, you may just feel for some reason that you're just not capable. Um, and a lot of times people will talk about it with a first job, right? 
They've been studying for years. They've been preparing for it. They get to that job. They are ready. They do have the knowledge, but you just have this feeling that somehow you don't belong there, that you're not the right person to be there. I think that for people who are underrepresented in certain fields, Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome can be even more pervasive because not only do you have that kind of innate feeling that everybody does, that how will I be able to perform this? I've never done this before. But on top of that, you don't see anyone else like you being able to do that. And so it really makes you question whether you're capable, whether you're the right kind of person to be in that particular space. And so that's something that I have battled with. I know a lot of other women at Make School have battled with that, but just trying to quash that feeling and continuing to remember that you have prepared for the task that you're about to undertake is really important. I think I went through imposter syndrome the last time uh, a little over a year ago. So I, and I like it happens every once in a while. And I've talked with other women who, you know, are like senior engineers, staff engineers, directors of engineering. And I've asked them, hey, have you gone through this as well? And they said, yeah, it fluctuates for me. You know, sometimes I'm feeling super confident about myself and other days, you know, if I had a tough week or if I had a rough day at work, like feeling really low. And so it's, I, like for me personally, what I do when I'm feeling low is I usually reach out, of course, to my family, to my loved ones, and they usually kind of quell that, you know, distrust that I have in my own skill set, which is still a lot better. I just don't think it is. Um, and yeah, that, that's been my strategy, at least for coping. But something that also kind of interested me when you were talking about being a teacher's assistant earlier and sort of folks kind of talking over you, I think you have to have a lot of patience for, for when you're in a role like that, just like any educator role. Because for me personally, I used to do something similar, like I used to mentor others and I did run into that situation like a couple times and I got so impatient and I could just not, I couldn't see myself doing it anymore. Like I just got really impatient. So maybe I was driven away from that kind of role because of what you're facing now. And I didn't really have like that motto for myself, like, Hey, Francis, like you cannot let someone talk over you. I was, I always like preferred to be more likable than like less liked if, if that makes sense. So I think that's a balance too that just women in general kind of have to deal with. Like there's that whole narrative that if you're a woman at top, at like a very top role in a company, you probably got there because you were either really assertive, you know, really mean, really vicious, um, and not because, you know, you were just really good at what you do. Um, So there's a whole queen bee mentality and there are studies about this. Um, so anyway, yeah, that kind of reminded me of that. And related to this, I'm wondering what strategies have you used to overcome those obstacles that you talked about earlier? How do you cope like at the end of the day, after a long day, um, right. with being a minority woman in the tech industry? Because it's hard. It, it does kind of come down on you sometimes. I feel like these two topics kind of go together. And so I'd like to hearken back to something that you said about how it's hard to be assertive or hard to be someone who's able to take a leadership role as a woman and still be likable. And I think that 
Um, but this is something that I definitely hear often and I do see it sometimes where women who are assertive or who stand up for themselves find themselves in uncomfortable positions because people don't respond well to that. And I think that while you shouldn't ever frame your life in the context of other people liking you, I think that there are ways to, uh, to approach assertiveness or to, uh, to kind of give yourself a stool to stand on without making other people feel bad about themselves. And so, for example, if I'm explaining a concept to someone and they interrupt me because they think that I'm doing it wrong or because they have something important to say, then I'll just be like, hang on a second. You know, the concept that we're going over is really fundamental to the whole conversation. And so let's finish this first and I'll be happy to listen to what you have to say. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's one thing that like, you know, there are, there, there are great ways to, t- to kind of allow other people to feel like they're part of the conversation while you, you know, keep, keep that, that leadership role. Right. But like, I think the thing is like, you're still tiptoeing, right? Like in a sense, right. like, I think if you were a man in that same situation, you would not have to deal with that in the first place. Like you wouldn't have to even think about it. You could just kind of act as you will and just kind of let it flow, whatever, do your thing. And you just, you don't have to take all these things into consideration. And it's just such a hassle because that's, those are things we have to deal with like day to day in these little interactions, bigger interactions, you know, projects and such like you have to take that extra step and it's extra work to take that extra step, um, to like think about those things. So I completely agree with you. It just kind of sucks at the same time. (laughs) It does suck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, at the same time, I will say this, the fact that we do have to take that extra step, that we do have to work harder for the same thing makes us better at what we do, like at the end of the day. Um, And especially over the long run, like because we are extra, because we are so cautious, um, things don't screw up more. So like, I, at least that's, um, what I've had shared with me, like for folks higher up. So yeah, just being extra cautious, taking that extra step, doing the extra work. I've been told from people higher up who also are women of color, who are in very senior positions, engineering senior positions. They've told me that because they've been so cautious, like throughout their entire careers, it's led to less failures for them versus other teams. So I thought that's, that was very interesting. And I'm talking like engineering managers, directors of engineering have told me this kind of story. Um, so I think there is a, there is an upside to it as well as downside. So again, we're going back to that phrase, like double-edged sword. Um, but to, you know, switch uh, gears a little bit, I want to know, Faith, like your, your thoughts on how knowing what we know and what we've discussed what do you think can be done to create a safer space for women of color in tech? Sure. So I think the one most obvious thing that can be done um, is to simply see more women um, in, in leadership roles, um, in roles that are higher up, to have more mentors, to have more men, women who are uh, able to talk about their journeys, talk about the things that they've done. And uh, I think that's a big thing that has been super helpful to me personally is hearing from women who have kind of gone ahead and are telling their stories from the things that they've done. 
I think that something that can be done on a more granular level to help women feel more comfortable in spaces um, is to make sure that uh, there are systems in place to allow everybody to feel like they can succeed. So uh, there's an example that I kind of go to the first term at Make School. They, they have a lot of assignments, which are, you know, individual assignments and which can be approached from a lot of different angles, which is super welcoming to a lot of us. But then uh, there was a kind of a rubric where you had to grade yourself. And I read over the rubric and I felt personally like it was a, it was something where you had to grade yourself on a lot of different types of qualities. And I felt like as a woman that I would tend to grade myself lower And I talked to some of my fellow female students and we all kind of felt like we should grade ourselves higher than we were, but we felt uncomfortable doing that. And so I spoke to the instructor about it and he listened and he was very welcoming and he really like took it to heart. And so like the next time that that kind of a rubric came around, it was a pair activity. So you would talk with someone else who would rate you. And so you didn't have to be put into that uncomfortable position And so that's a very specific example, but I think more generally, you can think about making sure that your activities are things that different types of people can approach and feel comfortable engaging in. And that if if it's something that might push someone into an uncomfortable space, that it's truly necessary for them to go into that uncomfortable space in order for them to be able to learn or to grasp the activity and to try and... uh, I think the other thing that happened there was that my instructor listened to the voice of someone who was different than him and really tried to think about it from my perspective and didn't dismiss what I had to say. And so I think that's something that anyone from, you know, the very, from students who are working on projects with each other to CEOs of companies can do is to listen to people who have different backgrounds to incorporate their ideas and to try and implement them into projects and assignments so that everybody can feel comfortable approaching things. So when you were talking about how a lot of the female students weren't, you know, putting very high scores for themselves, it reminded me of this phrase called self-advocacy. And that's basically when you advocate for yourself. And so you say, yes, I was like, you, you give credit for yourself for projects or you um, even allow others to advocate for you. So just, and you also market yourself really well. Um, You kind of just speak up for yourself in the room. And I think that part of self-advocacy is like knowing your self-worth and like feeling very valuable. But this is something that a lot of women, especially women of color struggle with, like just that general um, like idea of self-advocacy because I think we're sort of given this mentality that you should be really humble um, when we're growing up or like just play it safer, maybe Um, at least like in a Latinx culture specifically, like a lot of humility is required from like women Mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason. Um, And definitely like growing up, my parents would tell me, hey, be humble. You know, you're not supposed to brag about yourself um, so much. And so. I completely resonate with that. And I've tried to be better with that too, because I think I would have done the same thing as well. If I were like first, when I was first starting out a couple of years ago, I'd probably do that too. But I think now I would want, I, I might even put higher than normal scores for myself because 
Like I've, I've grown a lot in that confidence sector, but I think that's really interesting that you point that out. Um, and I think it's really good that they decided to change it up and that there was someone there who's willing to listen and like actually take action. Um, so that's really great. I, I do agree that self-advocacy is very important. I am, I'm on mixed school student council and I also talk a lot with staff about different student concerns. I usually if I'm in a situation and I feel like a lot of people are having concerns about something, I'll usually take it upon myself to go to staff and to try and figure out how we can make things better. And I also, uh, you know, I, I do the teaching assistant thing. And so that's something that I've had to own and not shy away from the fact that I'm a leader uh, in my community and to give myself credit for things that I do and to take ownership of that. Um, and so I think it's really, really great for, for women in tech to, to advocate for themselves, to grow that confidence and to believe in themselves in different areas. But I also think that while you're developing that skill of self-advocacy, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't hamper your ability to grow. It shouldn't hamper your ability to learn. And if you're having to rate yourself on different personal qualities, that can be something where you'll rate yourself lower and then if that has an, a, an effect on your grade or if it has an effect on an outcome of a project, that can be something that can really hurt you. And so I do think that that's an important skill for people to learn. But I also think that having, you know, grades and things like that kind of reflect on that can be harmful. Mm -hmm. um, but I do understand that that's just kind of how life is. That's how the tech industry is currently. And so being able to advocate for yourself, being able to ask for that pay raise if you've done that extra work and if you're out, you know, kind of like doing better than the people at your same level, those are things that you have to learn how to do. So yeah, I agree. Self-advocacy is very important. So shifting gears a little bit then, Faith, what do you believe that young women need to know, hear, or see to consider technology as a career option? So like imagine yourself when you were first starting out high school, maybe even in like elementary school, middle school, maybe when you were first starting out in college, either one of these stages, what would you have had to see or experience to consider technology like for real at that stage in your life? Sure. I think the big obvious thing is to go back to that story that I told earlier seeing people who look like me, who sound right, like me, right. who mm -hmm. have a similar life experience to me, um, being successful or being able to do things in the tech industry would be a big, you know, like a big boon to, to, the, to thinking that tech is something that I can do personally. I think that also um, computer science, technology, it's such a daunting thing for so many people. When I talk to my family members who haven't studied computer science about this industry, they're always like, wow, I can't believe you're doing that. That sounds like such a difficult thing. There's no way that I could ever do that. And oh, these are people, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, these are people who are very smart, who are very capable, who could definitely, if they really felt like it was something that they wanted to do, be able to succeed. And I think that breaking down that difficulty barrier, allowing people to see that it's pieces and pieces that you, you never get to a place where you know everything. You never get to a place where you have so much knowledge. It's just that willingness to continue learning, 
that willingness to continue to break down problems and that willingness to get better and better each day and also the willingness to fail and to build a program that doesn't run and then try to debug it and figure out how to make it run. So Mm -hmm. I think that talking more about, you know, the little pieces, the way that the ways that you can break apart the difficulty of computer science and also talking more about failure and talking about how failure is a natural part of learning to be a programmer and learning anything in life really would be something huge. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that all ties into privilege though, at the same time, because I feel like the more privilege you have, the more okay it is if you fail like Mm -hmm. miserably and the more okay it is if you don't take the traditional path and the more okay it is if you mess up, you know, just in general, right? Like it it all ties into privilege. So I think that's one of the big things too, like when it comes to access to roles within the tech industry, specifically with people of color, like it has to do a lot with privilege just in general. And this this, um, not this country, but like this industry has a big history of like leaving out those who had less privilege and especially Mm -hmm. When you hear the stories of very successful uh, startup, you know, executives or CEOs, a lot of people like will look at their stories um, and they will say, wow, you know, they they really worked really hard to to come from nothing and make this huge, gigantic like, you know, company that's super successful. But if you look and dig into the details, a lot of these folks, like they had financial backing from their parents or, you know, they knew the right person already because of their family. And they all had like these little, these little privileges, you know, not just as white men, but just like their like connections, their, um, their wealth, like all these things that you just can't really you know, replicate. And I think this ties into the college admission scandal as well that we saw um, recently to it kind of just showcases how far people are willing to go um, to, to get to these places. Anyway, so kind of a downer, but anyway, uh, I'm glad you were able to share that. And I do agree that having more representation, people who remind you of yourself um, in these roles and seeing them somehow when you're younger and first starting out is definitely a big plus. Um, so another question for you then, how can a more privileged ally help out or what do you think an ally can do to educate themselves better on the issues that specifically women of color face? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing to help, the biggest thing um, that will Help start to break down barriers and, and educate people en masse is for people to listen. I think that this podcast is a great example of that because if someone wonders what it's like to be a woman in the tech industry and specifically to be a woman of color, um, an immigrant, or any of these other you know uh, pl- places where people feel like they're a minority in some way, I think mm-hmm. that listening to people who have a different background, just listening to their story, and trying to come at it with an open mind and to really listen to what, uh, what their experience in life has been is huge. I think it's just a, a big way that, um, that, that, um, that can help to, to make things better. Uh, and I think that another thing that that's really important is, uh, you know, engaging in conversation as well, not just listening, but also asking questions. 
Um, and not to say that, you know, it's any individual person's responsibility to educate anyone else, especially when you're right, right. who's a minority. It's definitely mm-hmm. not your responsibility to go out and educate people. But I think that if you have a friend or if you have a family member or someone close to you who uh, who is, is willing to talk to you and willing to, to answer questions, I think that being inquisitive does help because I think that uh, you can kind of, you know, dismantle some of your preconceptions. You can, um, you know, you're obviously opening yourself up to a rebuff, so they might disagree with your question framing or something to that effect. But I think also when you're asking questions, having an open mind and being willing to listen to the answer and really take it in, um, that's a big way to, to, to become educated on these issues. And I agree that it shouldn't be us educating them, of course. And of course, they also shouldn't label themselves as an ally unless like someone like a person of color or woman of color actually does. Um, and that's why I framed the question as what can they do to educate themselves? Because I think a large part of it has to come from their side. Like almost all of it should be coming from their side. Very little should be us giving them like that input and answering any questions they have about what it's like, you know? Um, and so anyway, yeah. Uh, is there anything I left out that you'd like to address? Yeah, I mean, I, I think once again, I'd just like to say that this podcast is a really great opportunity to talk about what it's like to be a woman in, in the tech industry. I'm really excited about the fact that uh, you've got so many women coming on here to just talk about what their background is and to look forward to the future also. Because I think sometimes, you know, we, we we get entrenched in the issues and we kind of talk about how difficult things are, but I'm really excited for 10 years, 20 years, however, you know, in the future, however far in the future, when things are different and when there are where strides forward and where we see more women, uh, more people of color in tech um, and uh, more women and more people of color doing well in this country and in the world. Um, I'm really excited about, about that future as well. I'm so glad that you have all that positivity. Um, sometimes I get so pessimistic. <laughs> I can't like, it's not going to get any better. It's going to mm-hmm. get worse for instance. Like the world is going to end, mm-hmm. uh, you know, due to climate change, like we're all just going to burn in a fire or something. And <laughs> so I have to like, you know, and it's, it's easy to bring yourself down. Um, you know, if you're a minority, anything, and, uh, especially, like in the tech industry, I, I really do hope that is the case. I do hope that we diversify. I hope that we bring in more perspectives because if we don't, we are going to end up in a situation. I don't know if you ever uh, watched this movie. There was this robot called the HAL 9000. Mm, yeah. <laughs> do you remember the name of that movie? Um, it is 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think. Yes, it was like, it's a classic movie. I didn't really like the movie, honestly, but I like the character, the HAL 9000, right? Like, I thought he was really funny. Um, and this this robot, for those who don't know about this movie, there's these people in space, and they have this robot that serves them and helps them out. Um, and this HAL, this HAL 9000 uh, eventually turns on them and tries to kill them all. And my assumption when I think about that movie, when I watched it so long ago is that the reason he turned on them, this very masculine HAL 9000 robot, is because he wasn't programmed to have empathy. And he was programmed not to have empathy because he was programmed by a very homogenous group of people who didn't think about 
building that empathy in. They completely overlooked it. And so when I think about like the future and how machine learning algorithms, very complex, increasingly complex uh, machine learning algorithms are going to be embedded in our lives and are going to be controlling what we do or helping us uh, with what we do day to day. And I think about like the group of people that we have right now working on those problems. It's still a pretty homogenous group. And so I'm really hoping that what you say is true, because if we don't have diverse people working on these problems, working on these algorithms, we're going to end up in a world where we create products that not just, it's not going to be like Facebook, you know, where it's a social media platform and we get like, um, you know, there are words being uh, shared that are not correct, right? It's not going to be at that sort of level. It's going to be at an even grander scale of like terror, you know, it's going to affect people so much more deeply and so much more terribly um, because our products are getting increasingly complex and because every product that we create is uh, affecting more and more people. And because we have these tools now where we can scale products that affect billions of people now instead of millions or thousands in the past. So again, like I want to be positive and think like, yes, we're going to have a diverse set of people who are going to tackle these problems so that they're not biased inherently and that they don't target a certain group of people who are mo- who are my- most likely going to be people of color. But at the same time, like I try to be realistic too. And like, that's why I'm doing like these things, right? Like the podcast or I'm like working my ass off at, at work every day. Like, cause I want to become one of those people who like controls that narrative and who can change who ends up being those diverse voices in the room who are creating those products. Like I want to lead by example. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I really hope that is the case. Um, and I, I think that we both can do our part to make sure that it gets to that, like, I, I, more ideal case as well, to be, to be sure. Yeah, um, any call to actions you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I think a big one is for anyone who's out there, um, especially for any young women who are out there th- and older women as well, who are thinking about the tech industry and who are unsure about whether it's something that they want to do, I say, just go for it. You know, just dip your toes in, get started. I got started, um, you know, doing freecodecamp.com. So anything that you, you know, any website uh, that starts on a beginner level, just jump in and get your toes wet. And uh, don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of, you know, uh, of having to try and try again. Um, and then I think for anyone else who has women in their life who are thinking about tech, just supporting them, making sure that they feel that, um, that they are able to take, to take the risks that are associated with jumping into tech. Um, I think that would be, that would be great. What is a useful app or platform that has helped you grow in your career? Hashtag app advice. So joining LinkedIn is huge because you got to network with people who are more than you. And just get started coding. Um, I mentioned free code camp. You can also try learn Python the hard way. Just get started. Brilliant. What does the term mansplaining mean to you? Hashtag learn that term. Sure. So anytime that uh, 
that I'm kind of talked over or someone feels the need to break down a term, which is clearly something that I know, um, that, that, that's mansplaining. I think that men should be more cognizant of the fact that the women around them are knowledgeable and that they, they're able to contribute. Yep. Snaps to that. What is an organization or affinity group that you would recommend joining? Hashtag friendlies. Sure. So a lot of, uh, Tech companies and tech schools have um, small groups, um, like maybe a ladies' circle or a women in tech chapter. I think that being in a group that's within your um, within your your general sphere is really helpful. Um, do you have examples of these? Yeah, I mean, we have a ladies' circle here. We have um, a group of women who meet. We meet on a weekly basis, and we just talk. It's not necessarily talking tech just talking about life, just talking about the things that we do. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I mean, like finding an outlet to vent, I think is super important. Just like letting it out so you don't have to think about it anymore. Just like, yeah, letting those nerves out um, for sure. And final question, Faith, where do you live online or how can people reach out to you? Hashtag grow your network. Yeah. So I'm on Twitter um, and that's about it for social media for me. Um, <laughs> but I'm on Twitter at Faith Chiquekwe. Um, that's at F-A-I-T-H-C-H-I-K-W-E-K-W-E. Mm-hmm. And I'm also on Medium. I publish articles on a nearly monthly basis. Um, so that's medium.com slash at faith.chiquekwe. Medium is social media, I think. Is it? Oh, no. <laughs> it, it's pretty popular. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, that's brilliant. Yeah, I've seen, I think, one or two of your blog posts on Medium. It's really well-written. So I think it's good to write. Like, you just, writing is so good. Thank you, Faith, so much for being on the Tech Queens podcast. I really appreciate you being here, sharing your thoughts, being vulnerable. It's so important to have your voice like showcased and broadcasted, you know, to as many people as possible so that they can learn and just like also be able to relate to your story too. Right. Um, So again, I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your week. Francis, thanks so much for having me. Thanks. And that's it. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. And please feel free to share and subscribe to the Tech Queens podcast. References and links from today's episode will be shared on the website at techqueenspod.com. And if you're interested in being on the podcast yourself, just head on over to the website and fill out the contact form located near the bottom. It doesn't matter where you are on your tech journey, whether you've been in tech for months or decades, I want to hear from you and I want to share your story. So until next time, stay fancy. Hashtag techqueens.